The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Reach out, touch faith. Welcome again to the Tabernacle. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad you're here, and I'm especially glad you're here because we had a service last night, and we had one this morning, and this by far is the best-looking crowd we've had. (laughs) By far the best-looking. Now, let me explain why. You've probably heard we had a women's retreat where we had over 118 ladies uh, were down uh, uh, together, and so last night, uh, uh, amongst the thorns, the roses were sparse. Right, so I want to explain. So, if you were one of the roses last night, I want to offend you. You look good, but the dude next to you is just hideous. It's the way God intended. Uh, so, uh, for those that were part of that, thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for being here today. Uh, we're excited to hear some of the reports about that women's retreat. Uh, I've had on good authority that there was some sort of dance party, and so um, I'm not sure. I know we celebrate freedom in Christ, but the recovering legalists in the room are like too far. Too far, too far. I don't know. We'll see. You know, David dance, we dance. I don't know. Maybe it's biblical. But um, uh, it was a weird weekend. I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, uh, dads walking around with a thousand yard stare right now, right? I know I say this every year, but, and I don't, I don't want to say it because she's here in this service, but man, that woman might need a pay raise. I'm not sure. I'm talking about my wife, you know, because one of the irritating things about women's retreat weekend when I'm alone with the kids, I realize, is how much she does. And an irritating thing is I find out that stuff that I leave around the house stays where I put it. (laughs) It doesn't go in its proper place, so I can't find it. It's where I put it, and I've got no one to blame, right? So uh, you'll get that one later, but... uh, but my kids were excited too. Uh, I'm going to sell out my son right now because we were we were, you know picked him up at school on Friday and uh, he had this uh, he was all excited. Kids are bouncing off the wall and they're like, you know, hey, where's mom? Well, mom went, oh yeah, women's retreat. They're gone. <gasps> this is us and dad weekend. And then they're like bah, screaming in the car, you know. And then my son says this. He goes, Dad, I don't know what it is, but when I know it's like a you know when it's just us and you for the weekend, my heart gets so excited. And I'm like, hey, man, you know, and so I prodded a little more because mom ain't that bad. Mom's really awesome, you know, and, and uh, uh, he was like, yeah, or, you know, I asked, why is that? And he said, dad, because when it's just you and us, it's like something might happen. <laughs> <laughs> so to make sure I didn't let the man down, we went ahead and blew a bunch of stuff up and had a big fire. So uh, outside the house. So we're good. So we're good. 
Uh, just want to let you know a little bit about where we're going with our teaching series for the next few weeks so you know what's happening. Uh, this Sunday and next Sunday are our last two installments of the series of Personal Jesus we'll be talking about today and then next week. And then I want to alert you to a very important weekend. On May the 6th and the 7th, on that weekend, it will be Compassion Sunday at the Tabernacle. Compassion Sunday at the Tabernacle. Compassion is an organization that we believe in. Uh, It's a Christian organization that uh, uh, basically feeds children around the world, right? Children that are at risk of becoming orphans, children that uh, maybe don't have as much as we do, but they associate this uh, feeding and care and educational program with local churches around the world. And so you and I will be given an opportunity on that day to make a difference in the life of one child. We did a Compassion Sunday about 10 years ago here at the Tabernacle when we were a much smaller church. We weren't even, uh, uh, I think at that time, averaging over 300. And this church, which has always been about God's heart for the poor, with less than 300 people, sponsored over 50 children around the world. And so I didn't want you to show up on May 6th and 7th and and just be blindsided. I'm going to tell you right now, on that weekend, we're going to challenge you. Now, not everyone can do it, and not everyone's going to do it. That's okay. On that weekend, we'll talk about other ways that our church can be Jesus with skin on locally, right? Because that's been one of the DNA hallmarks of the Tabernacles. We're a church that cares about the needs of people just the same way Jesus did, the way God does, right? And so there's more opportunities than just this child sponsorship thing, but I wanted to let you know that that's coming. Uh, So don't go online yet. Don't do anything like that, uh, but just kind of start thinking and praying about what God might do in your life and what you might be called to challenge. Maybe you'll take that challenge on that day. And then after that, we're going to jump back into Romans. I know we've been in Romans for a while. We've been taking it in chunks, but I'm really excited about the next installment of Romans, which will go through May and the beginning of June. We're going to just strictly take about six or seven weeks to look at Romans chapter 12, right, which is the climax of that book. So I'm super excited about it. If you want to read ahead, uh, uh, you can feel free to do that. But today, we're finishing up, or, or we're starting to finish up our series of Personal Jesus. Now, we didn't just name this series Personal Jesus so I could have an excuse to play Depeche Mode in church. I know you're thinking that, and that might have been part of it, right? How do we make Jesus personal? How do we take this beyond just Christian kind of lingoism, Christian ghetto speak? I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah, but what does that really mean? What does that really look like? Because if you're like me and you've been in church a long time, we can lose sight of it or we can forget what it really means. And if you're new to church, you have no idea what that means. How do we make Jesus really personal? How does Jesus become personal? And so as you can see, our little blocks have been lighting up and and we're looking at each one of these and you know we talked about how Jesus came personally to save us that's why the palm branch that's why on Palm Sunday you know what we celebrate is Palm Sunday the people of Jerusalem waved those symbols of hope I need a savior I need someone I need something to fill the forever empty Jesus becomes personal when that happens Jesus died for us. That was the symbol for Good Friday, the heart that he loved us so much. We're loved by Jesus so much that we were the only person on this planet who needed a savior. Jesus would have died for us. But he just didn't die for us individually. He died for us corporately. See, we shouldn't confuse personal Jesus as it's private and personal and I don't talk about it. 
Some of us would prefer to keep our relationship with Jesus that way. It's private, it's personal, kind of like how to raise your kids, kind of like how much money you make, right? Now, Jesus saved us into something. He saved us personally, but he saved us so we could personally become involved in this thing called the church, into this community where I can know others and be known by others. And Jesus is real and tangible. We talked about that on Easter Sunday. That's why the symbol of the fish, that, that the symbol that he gave, the sign he gave to his disciples, that he was really real. He wasn't just a set of ideas. He wasn't a ghost. They weren't having a hallucination. As he said, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of fish. And this is profound because Jesus is doing something all along that he's been doing from the beginning. But I'm getting ahead of the story. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to read something that Paul wrote. Paul wrote this probably 30, maybe 35 years after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. This is after he went back to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. But this knowledge, this tribal knowledge, this church history is, is being passed down from Christian to Christian to disciples. And, and, and so when Paul, who previously his name was Saul, when he wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, this is a little bit of history that he gives us about how personal Jesus is, was after the resurrection. Starting in verse 3, this is what he says to us. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So he's saying, this doesn't come from me. This was given to me. The implication by others, by God. What I received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared tangibly to Cephas. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. How was Jesus personal? How is Jesus personal? He gives us a little picture in the middle of that epistle that Jesus personally appeared to all these people. They personally had an interaction with Jesus. It says, first to Cephas. That's another name for Peter. He appeared also to the 12, not just once, but multiple times. At one point, it says, he appeared to more than 500 of them at once. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Then he appeared to his Brother James, actually his half-brother, which by the way, if you remember, James uh, didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God prior to his death, burial, and resurrection. Wonder how that convo went, right? Hey, bro. Yeah, sorry, bro. I need you to be the bishop of Jerusalem. Okay, right? I I totally added that part. As he appeared to them personally, what was he doing? What was he doing? Was it just these little Jedi Jesus appearance moments? What was he doing? Was we piece together the end of Matthew, it tells us a little bit, the end of Mark, it tells us a little bit, Luke and John, and then here, 
I believe Jesus was doing in the 40 days after the resurrection, the same thing he's doing right now and the same thing he can do for each one of us. You see, when Jesus first called these guys, let me take you all the way back three years before this moment that he's talking about all these appearances. When he first called his disciples, Jesus was a rabbi, that means teacher. And he called these disciples to do what disciples have always done, to follow their rabbi. Jesus said, follow me to Peter. And he left his nets and he followed him. To James and John, the sons of Zebedee, also fishermen, he said, follow me. And they followed him. To Matthew, the tax collector, who had a different job, ripping people off, right? He said, Matthew, follow me. And he followed him. And that was the challenge, to follow me. And when Jesus said, follow me, it was an invitation to enroll in his school as the rabbi. And if you were a disciple, your steps literally would follow in the steps of your rabbi. You're going to follow his teaching. You are going to follow his command. You're going to follow his guidance. You're going to follow his direction. And your life would totally be altered and changed by his teaching. For the next three years, his disciples were taught by Jesus. And what scripture teaches us is they were more than just these appearances that Paul talked about. In each one of these appearances, these disciples were still being taught by Jesus. They were taught by Jesus. My very first job right out of college uh, was soccer coach. Now, I'd been a soccer player at the university that I attended. And when I, um, or actually this was before graduation, the athletic director called me into his office and he offered me a job. And I felt really amazed by that because here I haven't even graduated yet, but my eligibility's done. And he's like, uh, John, we want to ask you to be our uh, women's soccer coach for our brand new soccer team that's starting next fall. And, you know, I, I was proud of that. I mean, they're entrusting me with something big, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach these women the game that I love, that, you know, this game that I, I was, you know, at that point pretty good at, you know, and it's like, I'm going to coach them. I'm going to be their teacher. What he didn't tell me is that we didn't have any soccer players and that it was really, we want you to pioneer a soccer program, right? And we have very little budget. We're just trying out this new thing and you're the guinea pig. All right. That's a translation. Fast forward to four or five months later, and I'm walking out with these ladies whom, you know, we've gone through preseason and prepared. By that time, we found, uh, we found about 10 girls that had played soccer uh, uh, when they were little kids, you know, in like a little YMCA league. That's all their soccer experience was. And then we, we had, you know, some field hockey players because they were disbanding that team. And so we figured we could turn them into soccer players, right? We found some other athletes out of season, track and field, and they joined us. But not, we had one soccer player. Have I painted this picture for you yet, right? And we're going out to play a college soccer match in the NAIA Division I, okay? That's where we're going. I had no idea we were about to be scattered and shellacked by chaff before the wind. Uh, Sorry, that's Old Testament for we're about to get spanked. Really bad, right? 
I'll never forget though, as I'm walking out, I'm their teacher, I'm their coach, I'm their leader, and, and we're going out to the field, and one of the basketball coaches, because the basketball team was there to cheer on the ladies, you know, he says, hey, John, and he came running up to me as we're walking into the field, and he said, hey, can I just tell you something real quick? I said, yeah, Jerry, what's that? And he goes, one bit of advice, no matter what happens, never stop coaching. And I was like, what? And he goes, good or bad, whatever's about to happen, don't stop coaching. And I'm going to tell you, that is the best bit of coaching advice I've ever received. Because 10 minutes into the second half, it was seven to zero. That's a football score <laughs> of a boring game. <laughs> we were getting crushed, and his words were echoing in my mind don't stop coaching, don't stop coaching. There's still something to learn. There's still something. And, and through all my coaching years, whether we're up seven or we're down seven, if the game is close, it doesn't matter if the starters are in or the players that never get to play are in, never stop coaching because that's what good coaches do. That's what good teachers do. Jesus is the greatest teacher to ever live. Do you agree? Jesus is the greatest coach to ever live. And so what he did in the 40 days after his resurrection is he did what he was doing from the beginning. He continued to teach. He continued to coach. Because I don't know about you, I'm not done yet. And it seems to me that these disciples weren't the finished article yet either. How many of you would say right now, you know what? I would love it if Jesus were to appear right here. Just raise your hand. That'd be great. That would build my faith. That would be helpful. Yes. That would be nice. I mean, if he would do that. Don't fall into that trap because we tend to think, you know what, if I saw the Red Sea part, if I saw water turned into wine, if I saw Jesus calm the seas, if I saw the resurrected Christ, you know what, then I wouldn't struggle because my faith would be fine. Uh Uh-uh. These men and women still struggled and these men and women still had to be taught. They were taught by Jesus during this time. And it's important for us because I believe right now in this moment, we're still being taught by Jesus. I'm going to give you an example of that. I wasn't going to share this, but I just decided that I would. This sermon is not what I prepared in my study this week. And it's not the sermon I shared last night. And the sermon of the early service is not what I shared last night, nor what is in the study. And right now it's coming out different again. It comes out different every time it comes out of my mouth. And I can't figure out why. And it's been bugging me. And I've been telling my staff, I can't find this sermon. I'm looking for it. And it's just blood, blood, blood. It's words. And Tim's like, yeah, yeah, I know. Right before the service, he's like, yeah, I know. Your mouth is moving, but don't worry. He's teaching. We're still taught by Jesus because he can use a jack wagon up here just talking. Let me give you some examples where we see it right here. First of all, when Jesus speaks, our hearts are moved. Uh, One of the first appearances after the resurrection were the two guys walking to the Emmaus Road, right? So the women had found the tomb empty, but he hadn't yet appeared to the twelve. And scripture tells us in Luke chapter 24 that two disciples were on Easter Sunday morning walking to Emmaus... And they're talking about everything that had gone on with Jesus' arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. And now that the body was gone and they're all confused and they're getting out of town. And it says suddenly Jesus was walking along with them, but they didn't recognize him. See, sometimes we think we have to see Jesus in order to be taught by Jesus, but we don't. And here's the example. is they're walking along and Jesus says, what are you talking about, friends? 
And they say, well, have you been living under a rock? Have you not heard all the stuff? Jerusalem's in an uproar. And they start to tell him what happens. And we thought he's the Messiah, but then they killed him. So what's that about? And now his body's gone, and that's weird. And then Jesus, it says, in Luke chapter 24, begins to teach them. He begins to talk about how all the scripture... He starts with the Old Testament and goes all the way up to the present day telling them how Jesus was the fulfillment of the scripture. He's talking about them himself, but they don't realize it. And they're like, whoa, this guy's a great teacher. This is amazing. What's happening? They get to the place they were staying and they go, hey, why don't you stay with us? You remember this story? Some of you, you ever heard this story? Well, this is how it goes, is, is, is Jesus, who they still don't recognize, stays with them. And then at dinner time, they go, hey, would you say the blessing? And he takes the bread and he gives thanks. And in that moment, their eyes were opened and they realized it was their rabbi. Now, I don't know why. Was it because they saw the scars in his hands? Was it because he prayed the way he normally prayed? Was it, is it that moment, did the veil remove from their eyes? I don't know. But what scripture does record is that instantly he vanished. And they said to one another, get this, did our hearts not burn as he spoke? How did we not see it that it was him? Was your heart burning? My heart was burning. Apparently when Jesus teaches you, you get heartburn. Sorry, I couldn't resist that one. But that's biblical. He says, did our hearts not burn? You guys, sometimes Jesus teaches, just like he teaches them, he teaches us. When you hear God's truth proclaimed in a sermon, on the radio, on the internet, live, at a church, at a retreat, wherever it is, you feel your heart burning. And you don't even understand the words, you're just moved. Sometimes that happens in a worship service, in a song. On Good Friday, guys went old school, right? So the band just kind of went unplugged a little bit. We had the harmonica going. Wasn't that cool? Those of you that were here, we had that winsome harmonica. And they told us to stay seated the whole time. I'm sitting in the second row right over there. And by the second song, I mean, they hit that old rugged cross. That we didn't, that, come on, that's old school. That's old timey. I was a wreck. My heart was burning. Done. Fork in me. And I don't even know why. I know all about the rugged cross. I preach about the rugged cross all the time. Didn't matter. My heart was burning. God was teaching me again. It's about this, the centerpiece of history. My friends, we're taught by Jesus. And when we're taught by Jesus, many times it'll go straight to our hearts. Right here. And you can't even explain why. That's what, he do, that's what his teaching does. My wife was sharing uh, this story with me of a of, you know, friend that she's made in women's Bible study. She was so excited because this woman was coming to women's retreat and, and she was like, you know, she was telling her story at women's Bible study that, that she's never been to church, not a part of church, and she was invited by someone else that's relatively new to church. And for whatever reason, these two women took a risk. One of them took a risk to invite this woman and this other woman who, you know, life has been rough, okay? And, and, and she's like, yeah, okay, fine, I'll try out church. Never been to church, doesn't know the songs, doesn't know the secret handshakes, doesn't know the words, all, you know, fill in the blanks. We've heard this story a hundred times, right? And she shows up to church, doesn't remember anything about the service, doesn't even really remember anything that it was about, probably doesn't understand the prayer, why we're... All she remembers is this. From the moment the service began to the end, she wept through the whole thing. Heard stories like that before? I've heard people tell me, I have no idea what you said, but I came in here and bam. Or I was at a, some other church and just, I just wept through the whole thing. Do you know what that is? 
You're being taught by Jesus. And Jesus is one of those teachers that even if you don't understand all of the X's and O's or all the doctrine or all the theology, he has the ability to bypass the head and speak straight to the heart. Why does that happen? Well, because scripture says that the moment you believe, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in your hearts and where two or three or more gathered in my name, I'm right there with them. So I'm just gonna tell you, I talk a lot, but sometimes my talking doesn't make sense, but he does. We've got a great band and they can sing. They're not that great. I mean, they're great, but they're not that great, right? I mean, you guys are awesome and we create a welcoming atmosphere. Yeah, but you're not that nice. You're still Northern Michigan people. But it doesn't matter. The spirit of God shows up and our hearts burn because we're being taught by Jesus. Taught by Jesus. And the greatest teacher that has ever lived hasn't stopped teaching. He didn't stop teaching here. He doesn't stop teaching now. We see another moment where it says in Luke 24 that Jesus appeared to the 12. And and the first thing he did was he rebuked them because they were still in a locked room and they were struggling to believe. And so like a good teacher, sometimes you hear Jesus teaching when you're taught by Jesus. Sometimes you're rebuked. Sometimes he reveals your sin to you. And some of us don't like that. Some of us want a teacher that just gives us an A, don't we? Right? You know what's weird to me? My favorite teachers, now that I'm 46, almost 47, as I look back, were my hardest ones. That's weird. I just thought of that just now. At the time, they drove me nuts. But now I realize they were the best ones. And that one teacher that was just like, look, everybody, I don't care what you do, you're all getting an A, I'm taking a nap. That guy was a waste. I'm a taxpayer, daggone it. (laughs) Do your job. But those teachers that pushed, right? They were the ones that taught us to think. They were the ones that challenged us. Jesus appeared, it says at the end of Mark, and he rebuked them. Some of us don't like to be taught by Jesus because we're afraid of what he might say. But if we'll stick with it, one of the things we find from Jesus says in Luke 24, he appeared to the 12 in these 40 days after. And it says, he began to open their minds to the scriptures. Oh, I would love for that to happen. Oh wait, that does happen, doesn't it? Have you ever been reading God's word, reading something that you've read before or a story that you've heard over and over and over again and then someone in your small group or someone at a Bible study or someone on television or something that you're reading all of a sudden opens that up in a brand new way and you're like, oh wow, I never thought of that. And then you can't get over it and you walk up to someone and go, did you know, da 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 And they're like, uh, yeah. And you're like, oh. <laughs> and it's not that you're dumb. It's that in that moment, Jesus chose to open your mind to it. Now you're ready for it. You guys, that happens all the time. That happens to me all the time. That happens to you all the time. I'm trusting because I'm a weak vessel that that's, how, that's happening right now, I hope, Right? Jesus opens our minds to the scripture. And I want to be careful right here because some of us have bought into this world's idea that an open mind in general is a good thing, right? Hey, be open-minded. Are you open-minded? Be open-minded. Hey, you should be open-minded. I think being open-minded is a bad idea. In fact, I saw a bumper sticker one time that says, the mind is like a parachute. It only works when it's open. And I'm looking at that bumper sticker saying, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. 
Because an open parachute is full of air. You guys starting to connect those dots yet? In the South, we call her breezy. Okay, to be nice. We're not called to be open-minded. But Jesus, when he opens our minds, that's a different thing. That's someone safe to be open-minded to. When the Spirit of God intervenes, when we're literally taught by Jesus, he opens our minds to the Scriptures. And sometimes he uses another person to do it. Oftentimes he'll use a church service to do it. Or a retreat or or some gathering of God's people where he'll open our minds. When that happens, we're being taught by Jesus. We begin to connect the dots Do you know what I mean when I say connect the dots? Do you remember when you were a kid and you did the little dot to dot? Remember that thing? I was always the guy that my dot to dot always looked terrible. (laughs) But I could kind of begin to receive the resemblance of whatever the Tyrannosaurus Rex or whatever it was I was dot to dotting, right? I find that as my heart set on fire and as I allow God to open my mind to the scriptures at his pace and when he wants to, I begin to connect the dots and, 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 and in a way I'm able to start making sense of my life. And I'm start, you know, I start to be able to make sense of why God wants me to obey him. And I start to make sense of why he calls us to live the way he calls us to live. Oh, those aha moments. I gotta hustle. When we're taught by Jesus, He builds our faith. He builds our faith. So it's not just that he sometimes bypasses our heads and goes straight to our hearts in a way we can't explain. It's not just that he fills our heads with knowledge and, you know, he opens us up to the scriptures. It's sometimes when we're taught by Jesus. It's specifically to build our faith. And this usually happens when we start to be obedient. There's an example of this in John chapter 21. The men of Fight Club on Thursday night, we studied this. One of the appearances to his disciples in those 40 days is, is, uh, it ha- happened in the Sea of Galilee. They'd, they'd been told to go there and wait for him. But Jesus hadn't shown up yet. And so Peter has a brilliant idea. He says, hey boys, let's go fishing. Do you remember this story? You can read about it in John 21. They go fishing and they fish all night and they don't catch anything. Does this sound familiar yet? That happened a couple other times that we're aware of. And it says that it's morning and they haven't caught any fish and they see a guy on shore. And the guy on shore says, have you caught any fish, friends? This almost sounds like a joke, right? (laughs) No, we haven't caught anything. And then he says to them, throw your nets on the other side. I've often thought what those professional fishermen thought in that boat when the dude on shore says, have you caught any fish? No, throw them on the other side. You're out. What do you know about fishing? But I wonder if one of those guys might have said, wait, 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 wait. I remember this one. He did this. Do it. And they threw their nets on the other side. And immediately there was a massive catch of fish. 153 to be exact. And one of them recognizes we're being taught by Jesus. It is the Lord. And that's the moment when Peter jumps in and they start rowing and all that kind of stuff. And there's Jesus on the beach fixing breakfast. Right? 
Why did he do that? Well, because he never stops teaching. He never stopped coaching. And even after the resurrection, even after he performed the most unbelievable miracle that you could ever conceive, that someone would die and come back from death, he still gave him another little 153 fish miracle. Why? He's still building their faith. And to go back to what I asked you before, even if he appeared here, some of us would still need him to teach us, coach us, and build our faith. They'd already seen him twice and they still needed their faith built. And so he did this. I'm going to fill your nets again just to show you can trust me. I'm going to provide for you. Are we done with fishing for fish now? Because I asked you to fish for men. I'm filling all that in. But I'm just guessing what the lessons were. When we're taught by Jesus, he builds our faith. He does it today. He does it all the time. We hear story after story after story of people who right after they become a Christian, it seems like God just provides in miraculous ways, right? Who's that happened before? You remember when you were first a Christian, you were, you, you were maybe challenged to obedience, yep, and then something spectacular happened. Didn't happen again, right? The classic one usually has to do with money. Don't worry, keep your pocketbook right now. We've already had an offering, Right? But you'll hear someone say, I'm a brand new Christian and I thought all preachers were about was my money. And so, you know, and then everyone says, trust God with your finances, trust God with giving, trust God. So I did. And wouldn't you know it, I won the lottery. (laughs) That one really hasn't happened. I just made that one up hypothetical. But it's usually something crazy like that. You know what's happening in that moment? You're being taught by Jesus and he's building your faith. He's building your faith. I had a guy catch me backstage after the last service and he said, you know what? He goes, those little provisional things, God did all that for me. But as I was sitting here in the service today, I realized he's still performing miracles and building my faith. He goes, I've stood there and I'm squeezing the hand of my little girl. She's 12 years old. When I became a Christian, my wife was pregnant with her and I didn't want her. Is that too far for you? He said, I didn't even want her. I didn't want to be a dad and I didn't want to, I wasn't ready to be a dad. It was all about me. And you know what? It's 12 years later and I get to be the dad of this beautiful child. And I follow Jesus and she follows Jesus and everyone in our family follows Jesus. And I can't even, my life is a miracle. Jesus built his faith. Last but not least, when we're taught by Jesus, he, he continues to direct our steps. You know, when they put one foot in front of the other and followed Jesus, he directed their steps. And then in the 40 days after his resurrection, he continued to direct their steps. And to this day, he continues to teach us by directing our steps. Jesus will tell you exactly what to do. You know, he he tells all of us his his general will, 95% of his will is, is in this book. But the little specific that's just for you, you can trust that he'll direct those two. I'm thinking right now of the story in Acts chapter 8 and chapter 9. And, and remember, we just read Paul's testimony where he said, you know, he appeared to Peter and he appeared to the 12 and he appeared to 500. He appeared to all those people. And lastly, he appeared to me as one untimely born. You know, the story of, of, of Paul's life was that originally his name was Saul and he was a persecutor of Christians. He had them jailed. He had them beaten. He had them killed. He's a terrorist. 
And he was on the road to Damascus when Jesus himself appeared. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he was blinded by a bright light thrown off his horse. And then came the direction. He was taught directly by Jesus. Go to the place I'll show you in Damascus and wait there. And blinded Saul is led, humiliated, humbled, having encountered the rabbi. And he waits. Well, Jesus is directing the steps of another man named Ananias. And in Acts chapter 9, Ananias, who his heart's been set on fire. The scriptures have been open to him. This is a man who had faith. This is a man that knew that Saul is a terrorist. That Saul's an enemy of the gospel. An enemy of this this fledgling church that's being born. He has a vision from God and teacher Jesus directs his steps. He says, Ananias, I need you to go to this house on Straight Street. There's a man there named Saul and he can't see. And Ananias, of course, is afraid. He says, don't be afraid. I've got a great plan for him. And so Ananias, led by Jesus, his steps are directed and he goes to that house Knocks on the door, they let him in, he meets Saul, he lays his hands on him and prays, and immediately scales fall from Saul's eyes and he can see. And then Ananias teaches him. Guys, have you ever thought about that? Saul, whose name was changed to Paul, Saul, now Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, probably the greatest of all the apostles, planted more churches, preached everywhere, died a martyr's death, He doesn't do any of that stuff unless dude Ananias doesn't let Jesus teach him and direct his steps. What if if Ananias says, nope, not going, too dangerous. Not going, can't do it. That's uh, out of the comfort zone. Sorry, teacher. But his steps were directed. Saul's life has changed. His name has changed. And the rest, as they say, is history. So what's the point? You're hoping I get to that? These guys were taught by Jesus. You can be taught by Jesus. Don't have to have a college degree. Don't even have to have a high school degree. You don't have to have any degree. Can he set your heart on fire? Feel it burn? You betcha. Now you can smother that fire or you can fuel it. He can open your mind to the scriptures. We've said it before and said it again. There's no wasted words in here. He'll give you the understanding you need when you need it. Guys, there's great Bible teachers in this world. There's great Bible teachers in this room. I don't count myself one of them. But you know who the greatest Bible teacher is who's ever lived and still lives today? Jesus. And he still opens minds to the scriptures. Now I can show up at those places where the scriptures are being proclaimed and give him an opportunity to open my mind or I can be closed-minded to that and say, no, not, not for me. 
Now, I can have my faith built by teacher Jesus too. And I can remember those times. Remember that time when we said yes and God showed up? Remember that time when we chose to let him direct our steps and continue to be taught by him? Or I can say, well, that was just coincidence and walk away. But make no mistake, you can be taught by Jesus. Doesn't matter about your past. Doesn't matter if you're married, single, divorced, divorced again, newly single. Doesn't matter if you're a student or a child. Jesus is the greatest teacher, greatest coach who's ever lived, and he's still teaching. He's still showing up. Even more powerful, probably, than if he was to appear here in the flesh for many of us. So as we close, I would ask this question. How is God teaching you right now? What's God saying to you right now? I know I say that a lot. It's because I believe this. What's God saying to you? What's the one thing? What's the one thing from today? Maybe it wasn't even in the sermon. Maybe it was Pastor Tim saying he's got a good purpose and a good plan. Maybe you needed to hear again today Maybe the thing that set your heart on fire was that he makes beautiful things out of dirt. Aren't you glad? What's he saying to your heart? How is he opening in your mind? How is he directing in your steps? Would you let teacher Jesus do that? Would you bow your heads with me? God, I pray that you would give us courage to take the next step. God, I pray that your words would continue to echo in our hearts and in our minds as we go from this place. God, I pray in our conversations, whether they're at dinner or in the car or throughout the week, that we would be quick to give credit where credit is due. Not to a church, not to a pastor, not to a songwriter, not to a, you know, a retreat, an event. God, would, would you help us to give credit that Jesus taught me this? I think Jesus is saying this. And God, we... We have to check it. We have to make sure it lines up with scripture. But God, I pray that you would help us to be men and women, young and old, that would respond to you and let you build our faith, that would let you guide our steps, that we would not resist, that we would be good students, that we would follow you as you lead, and that we would realize that we are interacting with a Jesus who is personal and calls us personally into this relationship that's tangible and real. It's because of your love and it brings us hope. And all this, God, is for your glory and our joy and we give you thanks for it. And if you agree, church, say amen.